um, we'll continue, this time visualizing the merit field uh, with all the holy beings who have the names and the qualities, not just the names, yeah. And, uh, but, but we'll imagine all the sentient beings around us and we'll think that we're leading them all to take refuge. So when you first think of sentient beings, or when you first meet different sentient beings, train your mind to say, there's a friend. So if you have habits of being suspicious of others or fearful of others, learn to train your mind in seeing the situation differently and just think there's a friend. Because in future, in previous lives, that person has been a friend. And if you create good circumstances in this life, hopefully they will also be a friend. Whether or not other people regard us as a friend is not so important. It's our training our mind to regard them as a friend, as somebody who's worthy of respect, as someone who just wants to be happy and avoid suffering. So it doesn't matters so much how they treat us, but we practice and train our mind to see them in a very good kind of light. And that's exactly how the Buddha regards them. The Buddha doesn't regard whether, doesn't care whether people praise him or blame him, whether they make offerings to him or whether they denounce him. because the Buddha has trained his mind so well to see others as friends, as lovable, as worthy of happiness and respect. And his mind is so well trained in that, that that's just the automatic way of seeing others. So we can train our mind in that way. And as we do, we become happier and happier, less and less fearful and suspicious. And then on that basis, it becomes so much easier to generate bodhicitta. and to want to become a Buddha in order to be of the greatest benefit and service to others. So that's our intention today, why we're here. So whenever we hear that kind of way of training the mind, 
people automatically go, but what about if they're giving me a dirty look? What about if they look like they want to attack me or they want to use me or they want to do something harmful to me? Yeah, that's the first thing we hear about training the mind to see people as friends. And the first place we go is they're going to harm me. Isn't that interesting? You know, that that is so much our our habitual way of looking. There's danger, possibly. So... It, we can train our minds, though, in there. And I think our relationship with bugs is a very good way to start. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but yeah, my, my cabin is filled with all sorts of different kinds of bugs. Yeah. And the stink bugs and ticks and spiders, little spiders, medium-sized spiders. Nothing like the spiders in India. I'm not complaining. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if we look at all these bu- bugs and just think they want to be happy and not suffer, yeah, so I'm not going to step on them. I'm not going to kill them, yeah, but I will carefully pick them up and take them outside. And it's very easy to do. And we do it with with a mind that recognizes that this is a sentient being who wants happiness and doesn't want suffering. And it takes just a minute, even less, to take them outside. Okay. So you start practicing with different bugs and you realize, you know, these bugs really aren't going to harm you. I mean, we, we're so much bigger than them. So yes, a tick can bite you and it gets really itchy. Yeah. But we can see the ticks and we can pick them up and we take them outside and that's it. Yeah. And if once in a while they take a nibble, yeah, or uh, a mosquito takes a nibble, You know, it's like, okay, that's okay. They're just trying to be happy, just like me. Okay. And chances are we will be okay after that. It's not like we're going to, you know, something horrible is going to happen to us. Okay, so very good to to train the mind, practice that way. Yeah. With whatever kind of living beings uh, you traditionally you know, look at it like this, you know, like, oh, I better be careful. Um, yeah. Like that, you know, when I ran into the bear in the for- in the forest, you know, why is he scared of me? Yeah. I mean, we stood there. I didn't quite know what to do. I didn't think that the bear was going to charge at me because usually they only do that if they feel threatened. And this bear didn't have a baby bear. That's when they usually feel threatened. They want to care for their young. So there was no baby bear around. There was just, I don't know, mama, dada, daddy, or maybe it was big brother or big sister bear. They weren't going to do anything to me. Yeah. Okay, so we're on chapter nine. And you will see on chapter on the page opposite to to the beginning of chapter nine, the uh, that's the inner core of the wheel uh, of life. Yeah. So you see the pig who represents ignorance at the center, who is, you know, linked to the the uh, chicken represents attachment, and then linked to the snake, who represents anger. Okay, so that would be on page uh, 217. That doesn't have a page number on it. Okay, and then you see on the right side of the drawing, you see a bull and somebody 
who looks kind of impoverished and then somebody with weapons. So those represent people who have created negative karma and it is ripening in terms of a lower rebirth as an animal, a hungry ghost, and a hell being. And then on the left side, you see three other beings and they're going up, which represents that, you know, in samsara, sometimes we go down, but sometimes we go up to our birth as a human being and a, a demigod and then a god. And then around that, you can't see it so well. Okay. But on the cover of the book, there's uh, around that inner center, uh, you see drawings of the uh, the different realms, yeah, and what's going on. And we may have smaller pictures of those two in the book. Let's see. Yeah, there's a full um, wheel of life opposite to the beginning of of uh, chapter ten. So that would be uh, page 231. And so there you see the inner two circles and then around that, the the six realms. And then around that, you have uh, drawings that represent each of the 12 links. And it's all in the mouth, the whole being held by the Lord of Death, meaning that you know, we are born and we die in samsara. Yeah. And then at the top, there's the Buddha who is pointing to the moon. Yeah. Showing the way out of suffering, out of the, the uh, six uh, classes of beings or the, the three realms. Okay. So any prison inmate can quickly and easily list the faults of being incarcerated. Okay, I don't think there's any problem doing that. The physical dangers they face in prison, the confinement in their cells, the boredom, the ill treatment from guards and other inmates, and so on. Those with a strong determination to be free from prison will be in contact with their attorney, make use of the law library, attend vocational courses and classes on anger management, and draw up a release plan so that they can succeed after being released. Similarly, when those of us in samsara clearly know the faults of rebirth by the process of the 12 links, we will have a strong determination to be free from cyclic existence. Seeking liberation, we will learn its characteristics and the causes to attain it. Then we will go about creating those causes and persevere until we attain genuine freedom and peace. Okay. But if somebody is incarcerated and they look around and it's, they go, you know, this really isn't too bad. I get to watch TV all day. Yeah. Because there's hardly anything else to do. And there's, they've cut the budget for, for educational classes. So I watch TV. I get to go on the yard uh, a couple of hours, maybe, maybe three, four hours I get to go outside every week. Yeah, not too bad. They give me food. They give me a place to sleep. You know, uh, it's okay here. So if somebody's incarcerated and they look at their surroundings and they think like that, they're not going to try and get out. They're going to be content to stay in prison. So it's only when you, they see the disadvantages of it that then the wish grows to be free. And, and so it is, too, with our imprisonment in samsara. Yeah. We have to see the disadvantages of it. Yeah. But we also look around our prison in samsara and say, 
But there's some really pretty things here. Yeah, and I'd really like them. And, you know, I could have this, I could have that, I could do this and that, and have some social status, and, you know, buy one of those yachts like the Russian oligarchs. Wow, wouldn't that be cool to invite all my friends on a yacht and have catered meals, and then they all know that I'm such a good business person. I made so much money, and I'm so generous to invite them, so I get status. So, somebody, you know, if somebody looks at samsara that way, yeah, then they're happy. They don't think about what happens when their yacht gets um, taken away because it was uh, obtained through illegal means. They don't think about dying and getting reborn. Yeah, they're just locked into the present pleasure, and that prevents them from getting free from samsara. Yeah. I think it's quite a good analogy, actually. Yeah. Okay, so then the benefits of meditating on the 12 legs. So as usual, you know, whenever the Buddha explains something, he talks about the benefits of it. Because that, when we see the benefits of something, then we get excited, we want to do it. Okay, so the benefits of meditating on the 12 links. So the Buddha taught the 12 links not only to show the evolution of samsaric rebirth, but also to lead us to a deep understanding of causal dependence and emptiness and their compatibility. Okay, so right there in that sentence, Two benefits of contemplating, <laughs> so the 12 links. You're going to understand the evolution of samsaric rebirth, and you're also going to gain a deeper understanding of causal dependence and emptiness and how they are uh, completely complementary. Things can be empty and also be caused by other factors and produce other factors. So de- meditating on dependent origination. And here, uh, the tame, the um, Patita Samupada, is the same, but I translate it as dependent arising when I'm talking in general about all the, all the different kinds of dependence and dependent origination when uh, we're talking about uh, specifically the 12 links. Yeah. So that's just my personal preference of how to translate it so that we we have in our mind that, uh, you know, there's different ways to look at dependent arising. Yeah. There's not just the 12 links. Okay. Meditating on dependent origination, that each link is produced dependent on the preceding one, is meditation on causal dependence which helps us to avoid the two extremes of absolutism and nihilism. So that's a benefit of meditating on this. We can, you know, abandon the the extremes of absolutism and nihilism. And it's very important to abandon those two extremes in order to gain the correct view of emptiness. So absolutism is the view that... uh, that phenomena have some kind of absolute existence. They are inherently existent. Okay. Nihilism is uh, the view that uh, either things don't have any ethical di- dimension to them or that nothing actually exists. It's all just hallucination. Okay. So you can see the two extremes. One is superimposing something on phenomena and people that they don't have, which is inherent existence. And the nihilism is negating a quality that phenomena do have, which is either in terms of actions that they have ethical dimensions and in terms of ordinary phenomena that they are caused and they exist 
and they uh, bring about other other uh, results. So this thing about absolutism and nihilism comes up many many times, and it's it's quite important. Yeah. So each link is dependent on the specific causes and conditions that brought it about. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a sentence in there. None of the links arises independent of other factors or due to a permanent cause. Okay, sound familiar? Yeah, each link is dependent on specific causes and conditions that brought it about. So causes and conditions that are concordant that can produce that kind of result. Understanding this counteracts the extremes of nihilism, thinking that the links exist inherently or that samsara arises due to a permanent creator. Absolutism, Absolutism. sorry. I read that and I'm going, no, this isn't right. Okay, yeah. So when we think things exist inherently, we're superimposing a form of existence they don't have. When we think that samsara arises due to a permanent creator, we are mentally inventing a permanent creator that does not exist. Okay, so that becomes absolutism, and it those you know those views are not correct. Furthermore, yeah, this follows. Um, well, furthermore, when each link ceases, it does not become totally non-existent. It gives rise to subsequent links. So understanding this eliminates the view of nihilism, thinking that there is no continuity of samsara or that samsara can occur without a, a cause. Okay, so if we realize that things arise due to causes and conditions, when they seek, they don't just discontinue and become nothing, but they create future reef you know, rebirths or future phenomena, then we know uh, we counteract the view of nihilism because we see that there's a continuity and that things can exist. Yeah. Now, what's interesting in all this is to look, we, we can understand those things intellectually, but to examine how we look at things, yeah, you know, when uh, when a baby's mama goes out of the room, yeah, the infant starts to cry, yeah, because the infant thinks that mama has become non-existent. Yeah, she's disappeared. I no longer see her, so she doesn't exist. So that's like the view of nihilism isn't it? There's no continuity. It's not that mama is here and goes in another room and she still exists there. She's discontinued. You know, this is, we were all infants and this happened to all of us. Okay. When we think about death, yeah, many times people think I die and there's nothing. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing. Uh, and then for that many people, that becomes uh, kind of an excuse to do whatever they want, not really caring the effects it has on other people. Yeah, so that's the danger of nihilism, how much harm we cause others. But also the danger of nihilism is that uh, then we, we don't observe karma and its effects so in harming others, we create actually the, car, the karma for our own harm. But we think we aren't. We think everything just go, becomes non-existent. Yeah. You know, like when you do something that, that's not legal or not good to do, and you don't get in trouble for, uh, you know, the first little bit of time, then you think, oh, then this is not going to have any result. Yeah. So it's kind of like that, you know, we don't see that our actions have results 
that can be that can ripen very you know a very long time in the future yeah and that we're responsible for our behavior so i think like some of the people were involved with um january 6th you know nothing really bad happened to them immediately after so yeah it's it's safe it's okay i can talk about it i can be proud of it or whatever and then now you know quite a bit of time later uh they're being asked to come and testify or some of them are being arrested but when they did the action they didn't they weren't thinking oh there's going to be a a, a result in the future yeah they were aiming for a, a result right then there which they didn't get yeah but then afterwards it was like mm-hmm. yeah no big deal i won't get in trouble okay so th- that's the disadvantage of you know thinking about nihilism is is it really harms ourselves uh, karmically and they say between those two extremes of absolutism and nihilism most of us you know we're absolutists now but um but you know for the people who are nihilist uh, who fall to the nihilistic extreme that one's worse because with even if you think things are inherently existent you can still create create good karma yeah but if we think things are non-existent or they don't have an an ethical dimension then we give ourselves permission to create all sorts of negative karma so that's why that is considered of the two extremes the worst one okay so reflection on dependent origination clears away a host of wrong views that's a benefit of meditating on it identifying that ignorance identifying that ignorance and actions in this life create the causes for future lives eliminates the wrong view that there are no previous or future lives okay now it's very popular in america uh, to say well you know we can't prove past and future lives and you know i just don't feel comfortable i i don't believe it yeah i don't believe it uh and so some people want to uh you know they make a form of spiritual practice that takes some elements from buddhism but doesn't have the idea of of rebirth in it okay um but you know if if we don't seriously look at rebirth you know and think if we don't really think that there's a continuity of our consciousness after this life or after death then it became it becomes very difficult to really understand the four truths as the buddha explained them and especially it becomes difficult to understand uh what the true path is what to practice and what to abandon because if there's no rebirth uh then what's the use of practicing the pure, the true path and exerting so much effort in doing so yeah if there's no rebirth why why put your energy in that direction okay so that that view can can really become an obstacle for people so it's true you know not every you know the people who grew up in a family or a culture that talks about rebirth then that belief naturally comes to them people like very much many of us who didn't then we hear about rebirth and we go huh what's that about so it isn't no buddhism is not saying you know oh if you want to be a buddhist you better believe in rebirth or else you know there's no, no threat at all involved in it the ideas presented 
And then we are encouraged to think about it. Yeah. Not to just say, well, it doesn't make any sense, so I don't believe, because th- doing that uh, is not investigating and analyzing. It's just going on, well, I don't like this, and throwing it away. Yeah. And we may investigate and analyze, and we still have some doubts. That's okay. Put it on the back burner and come back to it later and think about it. But also, you know, if the idea of rebirth is, is difficult, just think about things having continuity, you know, that they change form and they arise in a different form. Now, somebody will say, well, but what about, you know, uh, when we burn the, the old wood in the fire, the wood is gone and there's nothing afterwards. Well, there's ashes afterwards. There was heat released. There was smoke released. Okay? So everything, even if we can't see that whole object in a way that it looks similar to how it did before, still there's some kind of result. Yeah? It's, you know, it would, it's, would be difficult to say that things cut off totally. Now somebody could say, well, what about you get sucked into a, um, a black hole in the universe? And I don't know much about black holes. But black holes, they have, you know, matter and mass in them. Yeah. So whatever got sucked into it doesn't exist. But that matter or mass or that energy exists in the black hole. Okay. So it wasn't just like things existed, uh, were non-existent. And similarly, if the black hole explodes, okay, it won't look like a black hole anymore, but you may have a whole other universe as the result of it. Okay. So the, the whole idea is that uh, of causality. Things arise due to causes, primary causes, substantial causes, and the cooperative conditions. And when they cease, they give rise to something else that may or may not look anything like them. Okay? If you take the example of us, yeah, uh, yeah, if you look at a baby, have, have you ever seen baby pictures of your parents? Yeah, or pictures when they were really little? You look at the picture when they're really little, and then you look at the picture of how you look at them now. Can you match them? Yeah. There could be a whole bunch of babies and a whole bunch of parents, and it might be very difficult to match who is who. Okay. But, so they look different, but, you know, each one of those babies if it stayed alive, would become an adult. And doesn't look anything like they looked when they were a baby. Mm -hmm. When objects go out of, um, when they cease, do they become having ceased? Um, They don't become a having ceased, but a having ceased arises. Okay. Yeah, because, and the idea of a having ceased is that object doesn't exist now, but the fact that it did exist in the past has meaning and has and it had an effect. Okay, so that's why it may cease and bring about a having ceased. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so seeing uh, the variety of realms, well, I'll read that first sentence again. The reflection on dependent origination clears away a host of wrong views, identifying that ignorance and actions in this life create the causes for future lives, eliminates the wrong view that there are no previous or future lives. Seeing the variety of realms we may be born into 
ceases the incorrect idea that aside from the types of living beings we already know about, no others reside in the universe. So, you know, we know about animals, we know about human beings, and then many people say, well, there's no other living beings in the universe. You know, that's it, because those are the only living beings that our, our senses can uh, contact right now. So if we think about the 12 links in rebirth, then we can think, you know, we can accept the existence of other realms where the beings do not look like us and where we cannot see them right now, but we may be born into those places. The fact that formative actions bring fortunate or unfortunate rebirths dispels misguided notions that our actions have no effects or that virtue produces suffering and non-virtue leads to happiness. Okay, so we're going going through a whole host of, you know, uh, wrong views that meditating on the, the 12 links dispels, okay? So especially this one, you know, misguided notions that, you know, virtue doesn't produce happiness, that that non-virtue, if I get away with it, produces happiness, those kinds of things. Um, Furthermore, because results arise from their concordant causes, not randomly, There is no purpose to justify, rationalize, or deny our harmful actions. Oh, we better think about that before confession time on Posada days, okay? Or before we, you know, do our purification at the end of the day. So because results arise from concordant reasons, a causes, not randomly, yeah, Virtue produces happiness, non-virtue produces misery. So if that is a truth, and that's the natural law of how things function, then justifying our negative actions, rationalizing them, denying that we did them, getting defensive when other people point them out to us, none of that is useful because we created the cause and we're going to get the concordant result. So rather than waste our time justifying, rationalizing, suppressing, and whatever, yeah, if we used our time to to purify, that would be much better. So, okay, so those kind of views will always lead to suffering. Knowing this, inspires us to be more mindful of our motivations and actions and to purify misdeeds. Okay, so people often say, how do I increase my mindfulness? Okay, now remember, when we say mindfulness, we're not talking about secular mindfulness that you get on a lap. No, an app. Maybe some people get them on laps. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 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 app programs you find. Or, yeah. Anyway, I won't go there. Um, okay, but we when we have uh, you know some confidence in cause and effect and how it functions, yeah, then. Oh, yeah, then my actions are going to create an effect. And then we become much more mindful of our actions, much more aware of what we're doing and saying and thinking, because we know that it's going to have an effect. It's not going to just vanish. Okay. And it also inspires us to purify misdeeds because... We don't want the effects of negative karmas to ripen. In addition, we see that the causes of dukkha exist within us. Another benefit of meditating on the 12 links. Okay. So the causes of dukkha exist within us. So relief from dukkha must also be accomplished within our own mind. 
No miraculous drug can stop the cause of the cycle of rebirth, nor can cryonics conquer death. The only way to the deathless state, nirvana, is by eliminating the causes of samsaric rebirth. Okay, so, so when we, you know, go through samsara and we uh, experience suffering, uh, who do we or what do we usually attribute that suffering to? Something outside of ourselves, another person, a government policy, a, uh, a broken glass, a road, a building that fell down, the, the, whatever it is, the source of my suffering outside. Okay. And so we think that the way to happiness is to rearrange all of our duckies and get them in the order that we want. But that's impossible. Yeah. You know, even when we were kids sitting in the bathtub with all your little duckies and you try and put them in a straight line, and as soon as you almost get there, because you moved your hand, then the duckies move and they're no longer in a straight line. Yeah? Very difficult to get those duckies to stand still. Okay? That's a big lesson that I don't think we learned very well as kids, but if we had, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the only way we're going to find uh, relief from the dukkha of samsara is by obliterating the causes of the rebirth into samsara, which means stopping the first link. Yeah, and to stop that ignorance, we have to realize emptiness. Contemplating each link individually accentuates its unsatisfactory nature. Cyclic existence is beginningless, and unless we make an effort to cease it, its continuity will be endless. Okay, why? Simply because causes produce results. So if we don't change the whole mechanism, it's just going to keep doing more of the above. Now, while we have the opportunity, we must develop a strong aspiration for liberation and live our lives according to this deep, heartfelt aspiration. What sense is there in seeking worldly pleasures when attachment to them leads to endless rebirth? Yeah? What use is it running around seeking worldly pleasure when the final result is, yeah, endless rebirth? Because we just keep chasing that kind of pleasure. And we may get some of it, but does it ever stop? Yeah, it's like drinking salt water. You drink the salt water and then you have to get more salt water because you're still thirsty. Okay, as Togme Zampo asks us in the 37 Practices of Bodhisattva, when your mothers who've loved you for, since time without beginning are suffering, what use is your own happiness? That verse has always really gone boing, you know. It's like when somebody else is suffering, really, what use? is my pleasure. Mm -hmm. There has to be more to life. There has to be a way to realize reality, arrive at a lasting state of peace, and benefit all beings as well. This accords with Tongme Zampo's response to that question. Therefore, to free limitless living beings, develop the altruistic intention, bodhicitta. Okay, so he asks us the question, what use is your own pleasure, your own happiness, when other mother sentient beings are suffering? Yeah, so if you go, oh, yeah, there's really not much use in my own pleasure, then what does he recommend? 
yeah, to free free limitless living beings and to do that develop the bodhicitta mind. Okay. So inspired to make our lives meaningful, we put energy into generating bodhicitta and realizing the ultimate nature of reality. So we get lots and lots of of letters from people who really are on spiritual searches. And, uh, you know, they look at the Abbey website and uh, they want to come. See, some even, they don't know much about Buddhism. They want to come to exploring monastic life, you know, because there's something going on inside of them saying, you know, what I have now can't be the whole end all of life, you know, just my pleasure and then more suffering and more pleasure and no satisfaction. Yeah. And they're, they're really searching for something. So that search is good if, it, you know, if it sets you out to really start examining these very important questions about life. And to generate bodhicitta. Thinking about the beginninglessness of samsara pulls us out of fixation on our own, often petty problems. The molehills we make into mountains that preoccupy so much of our mental energy. Considering the larger perspective of many lives, the vast variety of life forms in this universe and the numerous sufferings we and other sentient beings endure instigates compassion for all sentient beings. Our obsession with our own happiness of only this life fades, and the aspiration for full awakening gives our lives greater meaning. Okay? So when we really think deeply about what samsara is, its causes the afflictions, its results, life in the, in the different realms. Yeah. Um, when we see that and we compare that with what we, we call problems right now, it, what we call problems right now seem, it's, it's, it seems almost ludicrous to consider them problems compared to what else we can go through while in in samsara. When uh, many years ago, when Geshe Nawang Darge was teaching a group of us the 400 stanzas uh, privately, and he, uh, you know, he was going through the one, there's one chapter on impermanence and death, and he was going through that and every day impermanence, death, impermanence, death, you know, because we again and again. And so I would hear teachings, I would go back to my room and meditate on them. The next day, you know, the next verse, and then back and meditate on that. During that time when when uh impermanence and death was so vivid in my mind because I was contemplating it every day. My mind was incredibly calm in a way that it usually wasn't. Because I lived next door to one person who played their radio very loud. And I didn't, it really was quite annoying. But when I meditated on death, you know, who cares about their their radio? You know, it's like, I'm going to stop being mad at her. I'm going to stop, you know, making up stories because it's so petty and trivial. And then when I look around at so many of the things, you know, that I get bent out of shape about, if you look at them, you know, okay, here's this annoyance or problem, or whatever it is, compared to being born in samsara, which which is the greatest problem that I have, you know? 
It's not that somebody didn't say good morning to me or, uh, you know, this misunderstanding or that misunderstanding happened or, you know, I made a mistake about something. You know, we just begin to see those things are really, they're not worth our energy to get mad at or annoyed at. Now, not just the small things that annoy us, but even big things that we consider a big problem. You know, somebody, uh, you know, the stock market goes down and, and, you know, your savings for retirement disappear. Or, uh, you know, there's war in your country. Or a loved one uh you know, dies in an accident, when those really big things happen, if you compare those to all of samsara, again, they're, they're not that bad compared to just the whole situation of samsara again and again and again like that. And so putting things in that kind of perspective really calms our mind. Yeah? So next next time, Buddha Bear wants to come and and uh, touch heads with you, or wants you to hold him, you know, think about that. Yeah, I said, oh, it's a Buddha Bear. I'm gonna run away from it. I'm so embarrassed. I'm an adult. I don't want to play with a teddy bear. Or what are the other people gonna think of me? Or you know, they're singing this song that, you know, I don't care, it's a mantra, I don't want to chant it. And your whole mind gets totally occupied with the harm that this little guy's going to do you. Yeah? Are you going to harm anybody? Yeah? Are you going to hurt anybody? Yeah? And then we go on even that Friday night is over, then we think, next Friday night they're going to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, why do they always pick me out and put Buddha, Buddha Bear right in front of my nose? What do you think? Yeah? These people, they're so mean. Yeah? And I'm embarrassed. And it's online, and what are they going to think of me? Huh? Did you have any awareness that they were so bent out of shape by your smiling face? Okay? And then you think, you know, they have to think, why is this so threatening to me? Yeah? It's only a teddy bear. I mean, do you think that Buddha Bear could take down Putin? Yeah. Maybe if you go see Putin, yeah, maybe he'll be afraid of you too. Then the war would stop. Yeah, you want to try? But think about these things, you know? What things we grab onto. And no, what is really worth grabbing onto? Or this is my teddy bear. Yeah. And did you have a teddy bear when you were little? Or a blankie? You know, your blankie that you know. Yeah. You couldn't separate from your blankie yeah. or your teddy bear. So attachment. One object that is the object of anger for one person and the object of attachment for another person. Yeah. Which are you? Are you either of those? Yeah. It's just in our mind. So it is said that each of us has been born in every life form and done every activity in cyclic existence infinite times. 
Okay. What then is truly important to do in this very moment? Considering that we've done everything and been everything and have a huge pile of t-shirts to show for it. Yeah. What then is truly important to do in this very moment? Since samsaric pleasures arise due to causes and vanish when the causal energy is consumed, clinging to them does not make sense. Seeing that I and mine are dependent phenomena releases the tightness of having to prove or defend ourselves. Okay? When we get stressed, when our mind gets tight, you ever get tight? And it's like, what do these people want from me? They're asking me to do this, and then I get told to do that, and there's one thing after another, and nobody asks me how I feel, and if I can't do that, I just can't stand it anymore. Yeah, your mind ever get like that? Okay. So, seeing that I and mine are dependent phenomena, Okay, so when we get tense like that, yeah, what are we focused on? The wrong view of I and mine. I has become this concrete thing, and mine, like my reputation, or what other people think of me, or even what I think of myself, yeah, They want me to do so many things, but that isn't what I think is valuable to doing. That's not what I want to do, you know. Or they want me to do all of that, and I want to appear valuable in their eyes, so I feel like I have to do it, but I don't really see the purpose in doing it, and I don't want to. I mean, we get uptight about that too, don't we? Yeah. Okay. But if we start seeing that I is just a dependent phenomena based on the collection of the aggregates and a name, uh, you know, the the aggregates are being conceived as a person and the name person being attached or whatever your name is being attached. If you begin to see the I like that, then the I is not such a big deal. And the mind, you know, what other people think about us yeah, your reputation, that's part of what I possess. That's mine. Yeah, what in the world is a reputation? Yeah, it's just other people's thoughts. And their thoughts come and go very quickly, and they, you know, and they really don't spend so much time thinking about us. I mean, that's the really sad news, isn't it? You know, they don't spend their whole day thinking about us. But, you know, if we don't meet their expectations, then they will think badly of us. Or I will think badly of me, because then again, I'm a failure, I'm a slouch, I'm unappreciative. Yeah. And all this judgment comes up. Yeah. And what is a reputation? What is meeting my own aims? Is that something concrete that has its own inherent nature? Or is that something that my own mind conceived of? And having conceived it, I got attached to it. Hmm? Good to think about this. Yeah. Why in the world am I so attached to this stuff? Okay, so seeing that I and mine are dependent phenomena releases the tightness of having to prove or defend ourselves. Because I is only something that's dependent, desig- dependently designated. There's no concrete thing that's me there. Yeah, reputation. 
There's no concrete thing that's a reputation. It's people's thoughts. Yeah, what are thoughts? Zip, 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 zip. You know? So we can relax and let go of trying to control everything and everyone around us. Wouldn't that be a relief? Yeah? All that wish to control everyone and everything. Just... I don't have to do that. I have to benefit sentient beings, so I interact with them, but I don't have to control everything. Instead, we will derive inner satisfaction from creating the causes for well-being, liberation, and full awakening. Such are the benefits of contemplating dependent origination. So a lot of benefits, huh? Okay, so we will pause here. And then next week go into invigorating a a dry Dharma practice. And about this particular section, it's just a few pages long. Um... It it was it's inspired by His Holiness's brother Nari Rinpoche, because one day we were talking, and he was just talking about how sometimes your Dharma practice just feels dry, you know, and you meditate, but no special feeling accompanying, or no, you know, and uh, and so he he uh, had some ideas about ways to remedy that. You know, that I'm sure his brother, his holiness, would agree with. And I found also some uh, places in, this, in the Pali Sutras that mentioned these same antidotes, too. So that, that's a sneak preview of the next sec- section. Okay, questions, comments? It seems a little inaccurate to say that you could cut samsara by that other place in the 12 links. Uh, between like what is it between between feeling feeling and, and, and craving craving yeah the real place to cut it is before ignorance but between uh, feeling and craving at least we can stop the creation of negative karma so instead of positive you know, uh, pleasurable feeling engendering attachment and painful feeling bringing on anger. At least we can cut cut that. Someone online is asking, karmic seeds of virtuous and non-virtuous actions that are placed on the consciousness are neutral. Since they are neutral, how can they bring about suffering results in the future? Okay, the seeds themselves are neutral, but the actions that they are the seeds of are, can be virtuous or non-virtuous as well. Okay? So it's kind of like... Um, you, you can... Uh, you know, the, the, in the kitchen, the, the things that hold in temperature, like the insulated bags, you could put a cold thing in it, you can put a hot thing in it, so the cold and the hot are different and will bring different results. But the bag that they're put in is the same. So it's kind of like that. That's just an analogy I made up off the top of my head. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. Someone else is asking, how do we meditate on the 12 links? Do we go one link by one link? Yeah. Or... Do we go through all the 12 links and look at the causes and effects? Okay. There's many ways to measure, to meditate on the 12 links. One way to start is to go through the reflections in these different chapters about the 12 links. We have a few chapters in the chapter, uh, in the chapters go through those reflections. Another way to do it is, um, it, you know, there are many, many ways. You know, one way is to meditate on each link individually and see how each link uh, brings the next link. Okay. 
Uh, another way is when we went through the explicit presentations or the implicit presentations to really go over those and contemplate those because that makes us see how the links can uh, affect each other over many, many lifetimes. Okay? So, uh, yeah, just think, and then really think about uh, that this is a description of my situation. Okay? If you want to describe, if somebody says, what's your life all about? Well, what my life is about is, you know, so far I'm born under the influence of ignorance and karma and I create more of the above and I have pleasant experiences and react to them with clinging and create non, more non-virtue or with anger and create more non-virtue. Uh, you know, sometimes I react with a kind attitude, but still my mind is clinging to, to this idea of me. And, you know, just think this is really a description of our life. Yeah. It, it's not the description that you're going to put on your resume, which is usually how you think of yourself. Somebody says, who are you? Well, I graduated from this school. I have this diploma and this degree and this. And then I've worked here and there and the other thing. And here's my list of awards. And here's my list of memberships and organizations. And here's... Uh, all the names of the famous people that I know because I like dropping their names. You know, that's how we usually present it. somebody says, who are you? You know, and that is all made up stuff. Yeah, that's totally impermanent. Comes, goes. Okay. Okay, so let's dedicate. <laughs> 